power. It shapes our world. What power do we really have? Does it come with incredible wealth or with a position of governance? There is a power that comes from God. A power that enables. A power that changes lives forever. The power of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to be looking at um, a really exciting part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that is that you don't walk alone. And that the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is your companion throughout this journey. And uh, throughout history, this doctrine of Trinity, this doctrine or this way of thinking about the Holy Spirit has always been somewhat controversial. But we know our experiences personally, and we know what it means to be prompted by the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't be Christians if we weren't actually prompted by the Holy Spirit. That's the first work that God ever does in your life, is to lead you to the Son, lead you to Jesus. So by virtue of being in this room today and choosing to be a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has already been working in your life. But the question always is out there, to what degree should we expect God to be working in us and through us? And we're going to look and explore a little bit more of that, how the Holy Spirit came about into the life of the church and formed the life of the church. So these are some of the things that we're going to discuss this morning. On the way to Australia, um, when was it? Uh, Monday, Monday, a couple, few weeks ago, uh, my plane was delayed. There'd been another plane through to Sydney that had turned around and come back through some problems. And so the plane was absolutely packed as they're trying to stack everybody in on the limited flights that there were available. And it was running late, and I ended up with one of those chairs towards the back, uh, just two sitting in beside each other. And a gentleman came and sat beside me. And uh, he was doing probably what I was doing, actually. You, know, you scan around and you see if there's any spare seats. You're not sure how full the plane's going to be. How many of you do that? Come on, you do that. Everybody does that. So the goal is that as soon as you can, as soon as you're cheeky enough, you, you jump into another seat where there might be a spare one next to you. So this guy next to me says, um, says don't take it personally, but I'm checking out how I get away from you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, it's the same. I'm doing the sort of same thing, really. Anyway, he said, I normally sit up the sharp end, you know. He says, I normally fly business class, but uh, today, because of what's happened, this is where I am. And I said, oh, that's, that's cool. And I said, well, where are you heading? He says, oh, I'm going to LA. And I, he says, I frequently go up there. And this guy was in his mid-70s, and he said he's got business interests up there. And so we started chatting. And then I had this experience that I think you've probably had many times before too, where you just feel like this cone of silence comes over your conversation. You know what I'm talking about? There's just this power of God just seems to creep in onto the situation that you're in. And it's like you're in a crowd, but there's really only two people in the room. Yeah? And so for two and a half hours, I spoke to this gentleman, very, very successful businessman, actually well-known in New Zealand. Uh, but he explained to me his life, his journey, and uh, the challenges, the disappointments, the hopes, the expectations, and to some degree, his looking, his looking for meaning and purpose now. And two and a half hours later, we hear this bump, and we landed, and I'm like, where'd the time go? And so we've been communicating by email since th that time. And I'm not sure where it's going to lead, but all I know is that in that moment, it wasn't an accident that we were together. 
It was a divine opportunity for God to speak into his life, and I thoroughly enjoyed the experience talking with him. So we'll see where it goes. But um, for all of us, the, the activity of the Holy Spirit in our lives will take on a different measure. It'll take on a different result to what it would do for us or for other people, depending on how it is that God is choosing to use you. And it's God's choice to use you and to use you to bless others in a way that uh, may be completely different to what you would expect because gifts are given by God. Spiritual gifts are given by God uh, to you. And in some ways, you don't even know what they are until you go looking for them. So this morning, what I want to do is just introduce us to how the church was born. And the first thing that we want to uh, have a look at is the book of Acts. Now, I've got a question mark there because um, the book of Acts really describes to us the birth of the church. After Jesus had been crucified for our sin, resurrected to overcome sin and death, and then ascended to the Father at the time of, uh, of the ascension, and then a few days later we have Pentecost. It's a, it's a festival that was established long before Christ. It had been there ever since uh, the Jews celebrated these various festivals, Pentecost being 50 days after what we know as Easter, okay, the Passover, 50 days. But the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit had always been happening throughout the Old Testament. We saw it in the, some of the major prophets. Take Moses, for example, uh, the burning bush that spoke to him, uh, the miracles that he performed in Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea when the people of Israel escaped, uh, manna coming down from heaven to feed them. And so these stories evolve. And there's many of these miraculous stories that evolve one after another. But in the times of the church, when Jesus came, they say that there was a 400-year period where God was silent. That's essentially a 400-year period from the last writings of the prophets in the Old Testament, as we know it, the book of Malachi, through to the season when Jesus arrived. 400 years is a long, long time, isn't it? Yeah, that's before America was ever founded, United States of America. You know? So you start to put that into perspective. But then Jesus came, and under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit, he ministered, and he, he broke down and broke open misconceptions about what it means to be a follower of God. And the power and the anointing that was upon him uh, drove off demonic activity, healed sick people, brought revelation to others about whom he was. And so this power is an essential quality of what Jesus' ministry was all about. It was the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, working in tandem with Jesus and God the Father to outwork a kingdom purpose. And so we get to the book of Acts, which is the first book of the church. And the question we've got to ask, and I think I've found this over my times, is that in the earlier parts of my Christian life, I was told that the book of Acts is the book of the Acts of the Apostles. And so that's a, that's a fair representation of it. The book follows through lots of different personality types, uh, some from diverse backgrounds, and, and they become used by God to establish the church. People like Barnabas, people like Saul, we know as Paul, and so it goes on. But the reality is, when we look at the book of Acts, is that the book of Acts is really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because it's all about who leads. Who leads. And in the book of Acts, you always find that it's the Holy Spirit 
that is leading and the disciples are catching up. The Holy Spirit is leading and the apostles are making decisions. And they're always discussing what they found God doing. Rather than sitting around having a meeting telling each other what they feel they will do for God, they were always chasing down what it is that God was wanting to do or already doing. And they had to try to interpret what it was. So let me just describe to you how this event um, uh, connects, if you like, with the ministry of Jesus. Now, it's about seven, eight years ago, I described this to the church before when I did a series for the book of Acts. So some of you, if you've got really good memories, you'll remember what I'm going to say here. But this is, I think this is wonderful stuff that we find in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, which describes to us how the Holy Spirit wasn't an accident. Okay, it's not just something that was totally unexpected. It was part of what God's plan was to empower his bride, the church, to be the church. And if it wasn't for the empowering of the church, we wouldn't have a church. If it wasn't for the empowering of the saints, the event known as Jesus Christ's ministry would have been just a blip in history, a man who was well known for his miraculous powers and wisdom, but there it ended, there it stayed 2,000 years ago. So I want to go and just discuss with you, firstly, uh, a saying that we know a lot about, and that is uh, tied back into the Roman Catholic Church largely. But here is a, a statue of St. Peter. And in his hand are two keys. Okay? Two keys. And a lot of you will know why Peter is in this statue with two keys. At least read the scriptures to describe what this is describing here. It says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter, this is our man in the statue a moment ago, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Okay? Strange little way to finish the story, I know, but Jesus didn't want the boys getting ahead of the program. Okay? There was a program that Jesus essentially had to fulfill. And yet here we have this scenario where... Peter is told that he has been given the keys to the kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but how many keys do you need to get into your house? One? That's usually how it works, isn't it? One key for the house? One key for the car? Yeah, we're always given two keys for the car. That's so you can lose one. Okay? And so you're given a key. But here we're told that Peter is told that he has been given keys to the kingdom. And so we need to follow this through. You see, within the nation of Israel's mindset at the time, there were three people groups that existed. Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles. Jews being the nation of Israel. Gentiles being, uh, sorry, Samaritans being those who were their half-bred, doctrinally impure cousins who had remained in the Israel region when others had gone off 
into uh, asylum or been taken away as hostages or taken away as slaves and then returned. So you've got the, the Jews, the Gentiles, sorry, the Samaritans, and then the Gentiles. The Gentiles being anybody who wasn't connected in any way to Judaism, to the people of Israel. So these were the three people groups in a biblical worldview or a Jewish worldview at the time. And so when we have the birth of the church and Jesus has told anyone who would listen that his word had to go to the ends of the earth, these three people groups would have been in mind. So now we have to follow through what happens and how these keys are used by Peter. And so we go to the day of Pentecost. Remember when the early part of the church there and the disciples were very scared and they gathered together because they were under intimidation, being persecuted, and they didn't know what was going to happen to them since Jesus had ascended to be with the Father. And so they were at, at a loss. They were at a loss. And this is what happens. Um, <clears throat> it says, on the day of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Okay, so what's happening here? The Holy Spirit has done what the Holy Spirit does, and that is broken out broken out. The disciples hadn't had a meeting. They hadn't called a Baptist meeting. They had a quorum and voted on it. Okay, but what had happened is they were meeting nervously, wanting to know what it meant for them now that they had to get on with this Christian message without Jesus around. And the Holy Spirit just broke out at Pentecost amongst all of these different people who were gathered for that festival from all around the world. And they spoke in different languages as the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And, and Peter gets up and this is his moment, and he, having been given the keys to the kingdom, is now using this key to interpret what God is doing. And he gets up and he explains to them how this is the day that Joel the prophet spoke of when the Holy Spirit would fall on all flesh, men and women, young and old, different backgrounds. So this is a very, very exciting moment as the church is born, and literally thousands of people were baptized in that same day. Now, this sounds like a great beginning to the church, but then things start to turn sour because persecution breaks out. And when persecution broke out, the disciples and those early followers scattered out of Jerusalem, out of Jerusalem. And so they went. And the book of Acts follows one particular person called Philip. Now, Philip's a great guy. I just can't wait to get to meet him. Okay? I don't know about you, but I'll push you if we're waiting up to see Peter in heaven, I'll get in, in front of you. I'll push you out of the way. He's just a cool guy. Him and Barnabas. We'll have some great chats. Anyway, not next week, I hope. But um, so what happens is Philip goes off to Samaria, 
Why go to Samaria? Well, Samaria is a great place because the Jews didn't like going there. So if you're being persecuted by the Jews, go to the place where they don't want to be. Makes sense, doesn't it? So here we go. He turns up. Um, and, and what happens is uh, they receive the word of God. They receive the word about Jesus being the Savior. Okay, And word gets back to Jerusalem that the Samaritans have heard the gospel. So what happens? When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay? Two keys. Two people groups. Okay? Why didn't Philip pray for them? Surely that wasn't a hard thing to do, was it? You know, he'd already shared the gospel with them. All he had to do was walk up to them and pray for them, you'd think. But no, he didn't do that. Word was sent back to Jerusalem, and Peter and John both came to Samaria, and they prayed for them specifically. Why? Because Peter had been given the keys to the kingdom. This anointing, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, had been given to Peter as a gift to to build the church, to strengthen the church. All right? You with me so far? Two people groups, Jews, Samaritans, Peter's involved. Okay, so let's now have a look at this third people group. And we have to go into uh, Acts chapter 10, I think it is. Yeah, Acts chapter 10. And we find there a story that is quite a long story, but the significance of the story and all the build-up to it is really, really important. So we've got this work of the Holy Spirit happening in two different areas. You've got um, Cornelius, okay, a guy who loved God, but he was a Gentile, and he had a vision and it, that, that, that somebody would come to his house and he would be bringing some great message. So he had a vision. Peter, the apostle, the other, is the other part of this story, and he was down at Simon the Tanner's house in a place called Joppa, and he had this vision of a sheet coming down with all of these animals in it. And you go, well, what's all that about? Well, these animals were all animals that Jewish people were not allowed to eat. Okay? But the Holy Spirit kept saying to him, get up, kill, and eat. Get up, kill, and eat. In other words, I'm making these animals clean now, clean for you to eat. Okay, does that sound weird? Does that? And it's outside of its context? Sounds really weird. But what was happening was, Peter was being prepared and prompted to go and hang out with Gentiles who they never would normally have anything to do with. They would avoid Gentiles in every, every possible way. And so he gets led by the Spirit to Cornelius' household, and there what happens? Peter starts to share the gospel with Cornelius and his whole family and all of his servants, etc., etc., and while Peter was explaining this message of Jesus to them, this is what happens. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Now, who amongst us is a Gentile? Everybody, put your hand up, I think, almost, okay? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, 
Surely no one can stand of the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with him for a few days, as you would. Well, can you imagine what that was like for Peter? Nervously creeping into a Gentile's home, recognizing that all of his history had told him that Gentiles were unclean. You don't go there. You don't have anything to do with them. And then as under the leading of the Holy Spirit, he starts to share with them the gospel, this phenomenon happens as the people he's talking to, his audience, start speaking in different tongues. And then he's like, uh, it ruined that message. Um, I think if um, God's prepared to accept them by giving them the gift of the Holy Spirit, we don't have any problem baptizing them, do we? Okay, so this is what happens. And so here you have this third key. Okay, Peter, once again, is the critical component to this, this whole event. And so you've got the Jews, the Gentiles, and the Samaritans all being baptized in the Holy Spirit, the keys to the kingdom. So we go back to our little uh, statue before. You notice that statue had two keys, really should have had three keys in it. Okay, the guy should be holding three keys. And of course, the whole evolution of the church now just takes on a completely different form. Um, in Acts 15, you've got this massive council meeting going on of all the apostles and the early church leaders, and the one thing that they have to discuss is, what do we do with all these uncircumcised Gentiles? That was a bit of a critical element in there, we're not going to get into too much detail about that. But um, what do we do with all these Gentiles? Well... Well, it looks like God's accepted them. Um, Who are we to reject them? Therefore, tell them to restrain from eating blood and remain sexually pure. Okay? Is that that the rules? That's the rules. Okay, even I can remember that. And so off they go. And that's how the church was born, under the leading, under the anointing, under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's an amazing story because Pentecost doesn't happen by accident, but Peter, the key lead apostle, the key lead uh, disciple, is the one who is helping this transition from Jesus' day through to the church being born under the power of the Holy Spirit. It's exciting, isn't it? It didn't just happen by accident. It wasn't just God going, oh, they killed Jesus, that didn't work. Um, what will I do now? Uh, I'll send the third person of the Trinity down to see if I mess him up a bit. That didn't happen, Okay. Now, in some churches, that might feel that that happens. But we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised because Jesus' discourse, that's a nice technical term for a conversation, that happened in the upper room, went like this. One of the things that he said is, but now I am going to be with him who sent me. He's talking about going back to be with God. But none of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, It is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, notice how it's spelt with a capital A, uh, or um, in Greek it's called the paraclete, the one who gets alongside us. That's an advocate, eh? An advocate is somebody who gets alongside you. He will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because 
I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. And he's talking there about his great enemy, Satan. So we're being promised that the Holy Spirit would come. This is just two days before Jesus is crucified. So this is, again, part of Jesus' ultimate plan. He's getting the boys ready for the church. He's saying, listen, and they probably weren't listening. He's saying, listen, and they probably didn't understand what it all meant. But when Pentecost happened, Peter gets up there and goes, this is what Joel prophesied. This is what he said. This is what he said. This is what Jesus said, remember? And he's starting to knit it all together, and he's been given these keys to unlock the church. So the power of the Holy Spirit would come upon this group of new believers. Well, the challenge for the church, of course, is that over centuries, um, the church has had this on-again, off-again relationship with the Holy Spirit which is a little bit weird, really, because we talk very uh, strongly about the fact that we worship a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who is God? God is a relationship. God is a relationship. When people say, oh, your God is the same as Allah, the Muslim God, not even close. Completely different. You know, and when Muslims say, well, you've got your book and we've got our book, no, no. Our book testifies to the Word. Who's the Word? Jesus. Jesus is God's final Word to humankind. The Bible testifies to that Word. Okay? That's a whole new subject, a whole different subject. But we've had this on-again, off-again relationship with the Holy Spirit over years. In the early days of the church, there were groups that were very, very centered around the activity of the Holy Spirit. There was a group called the Montanists, which were essentially, um, from best we can understand, uh, a very, very charismatic Pentecostal group who whenever they gathered, they all brought their own songs and they all would prophesy and that meetings were very lively, to say the least. That was exciting times. Okay, in the early days, moving some centuries on, uh, the Salvation Army were a spirit-empowered movement a lively movement that was rescuing people from the drunkenness of London streets and helping them become followers of Jesus. Um, in 1903, is the, that's the beginning of what they call modern-day Pentecostalism, a group of students from the Azusa Street Bible School, uh, sorry, from Bible School, went to Azusa Street Church, and they said, we need to be prepared for God to meet with us in a way that he hasn't before or we've ever experienced. And the Holy Spirit fell upon this church. And for years and years and years, this place was just a hotbed of growth, a hotbed of Holy Spirit's work, a hotbed of evangelism, a hotbed of mission that gave birth to the Assemblies of God Church that we know right around the world now. It was led by a, get this, a black African preacher by the name, who had one eye. It was called Willie Seymour. (laughs) so God's got a great sense of humor. Um, and, uh, and, and yet the, the cool thing about it was that it was a great leveler of all the different classes, blue-collar workers, white-collar workers, people who are wealthy, people who are poor. They all came into this church that had sawdust on the floor, and people were prayed for, and lives were 
radically transformed under the anointing of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So the challenge for us is all about our heart. You know, sometimes we feel that we know God so well that we will limit him to our own experience. Yeah. Sometimes we feel we will know God so well we we limit him to our experience. I I would hate to limit God to my experience because my experience is so limited. And as much as and as much as God is so much more, God is so totally other to anything that we are. And what we're being shown in Scripture and through experience is that the Holy Spirit's ability to touch your life, to transform your life, to fill you with his power and to prepare you for the works of service that he has already planned for you. These are the gifts of God that he has for you by the anointing of the Holy Ghost, by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it's not something that we should be nervous about. Now, I've got to say, um, you know, that gifts are, gifts are for all of us. And this is the most important thing that we can, we can see from today's talk. Um, <clears throat> sometimes when you've been given a gift, you've opened it up and you've gone, oh, oh, that's not a very good gift. It's not what I wanted. And maybe some of you have been to church services where things are a little bit excitable, a little bit over the top, and you've walked in and you've gone, oh, if that's the Holy Spirit, that seems a little bit too hard for me to handle. I can't really work that out. And so you back off. Or maybe you've been in experiences where um, you've had the Holy Spirit being invited, but it's also been bound up with legalism. You know, your behavior has to be this way, this way, this way before God will use you, touch you, etc., etc. And you walk away feeling condemned. What, I'm, what I want to say is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is indeed a gift. And we appropriate it by faith. We receive it by faith. We receive not it, but Him by faith. And without it, we wouldn't be here. The church wouldn't exist. When Michaela and I were traveling up South Island um, earlier this week, actually, it was on Monday, we came up from Christchurch through to um, Blenheim, where all those road slips are along there from the earthquakes. And um, it was really slow going because they had all these different sets of lights. I don't know if any of you have traveled through there recently. But all the road works just means that the, there's just a one-way system, really, and you've got to take your turn before the lights turn your green, you've got to wait. But there was a car in front of us, and, um, and these folks would wind their windows down, and the stictologist, you know, the stick guy, the stictologist, stickologist, okay, highly paid, highly skilled, they're standing there in the rain, right, miserable day. Miserable day, okay? And yet these folks in front of us, um, they would reach out and they'd put a handful of chocolate bars, those little mini chocolate bars, in the hands of the guys with the stick, yeah? And this would have happened how many times? How many people did they? Eight, 
Yeah, it's probably 15 people, hey, eight times two people, because it takes two people to run a stick. And, um, <laughs> but we were, we were right behind them the whole way. And it was so cool. You know, like, there they were giving lollies, and, um, and they were like dripping wet, and they'd go, oh, wow. And we'd drive past and go, like, we had nothing to do with it, but we were enjoying the experience. Hey, we were just buzzing. Michaela says, if they stop for a coffee, we're going to stop and buy one for them. But as they pulled over, they saw about five or six workers eh, in one area. So they, they must have owned the Cadbury factory because they just handing these lollies out everywhere. But that was a free gift. That's the reason why I raise it. It was a free gift. It didn't cost them anything. And there are times when you feel like a lonely stickologist on a miserable, wet, cold day too. And um, God wants to comfort you with his presence, comfort you with his strength, and, and fill you with his, with his love. And so I want to finish here today, but I really want to create for us an opportunity just to respond to the word by faith, in faith. So as uh, the team come out and lead us in this final song, I just really feel it would be important for us to respond to God's word. And so I'm going to invite our prayer ministry team to come on up. And if, if God's used you in the past in this way to pray for people, lay hands on people, um, just come on up and help us out here. I, I just would really love you to come and put yourself in that place where God can simply refresh you. Okay, just pray for God's touch upon your life. Uh, it's, it's not scary. It's not going to cost you anything. It might completely radically transform your life and ruin all your plans for the future. But it's, 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 it's God's love for you. Okay? And I, and I just think this is, a, this is a really safe place to, to do this. And we're just going to not be in a hurry to finish the service this morning. But just take that time where you can just wait upon the Lord and receive what it is that His Word promises that we receive by faith, and that is a touch from the Lord. Why don't we stand? Lord, we love being in your presence. And the more of your presence, the more in love we become. We know that you're sovereign, above and beyond our own comprehension, bigger than our own experiences, and even bigger than our doctrine and theology. You're the good father who gives good gifts to his children. How much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And so, Holy Spirit, we, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for that love that takes us beyond the natural into the supernatural. It gives us the ability to be connected between here and eternity through the love of the love of the Father and through the love of the Son. So Lord, I just want to pray for an increase of our faith today, that we would just be like those, um, those workers on the road who just simply put their hand out and uh, were given good gifts. And so Lord, we, we just want to pray today that as people step out in faith to receive from you, that you would meet them where they're at and just surprise them with that gift of love. We ask all this in Jesus' name.
So I just invite that, uh, those prayer folks to come on up and um, anybody who'd like to just have some prayer and make your way to the front. Don't be shy. Uh, just take advantage of what God promises and uh, what it means to be the church, to be that community of believers together.